Well, we're going to take a look at um, the next character in Hebrews 11, uh, but we always begin our study of Hebrews 11 with the first three verses. And it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So this is a whole study on faith. I'm going to do this each week until it's drilled into you. The illustration of the pump, right? Remember this? You, you're, you're dying of thirst in the desert. You come upon a ranch in the middle of the desert. There's a pump with a, a sign on it that says, there's a jar of water buried under the white rock. Um, take half the jar, prime the pump, and or wet the leather, and then prime the pump with the remaining half of the jar. There'll be plenty of water to drink. The pump works. When you're finished drinking your fill, refill the jar and put it under the rock. Now, you're dying of thirst, so your first inclination is, I'm just going to drink the water. I don't even know if this thing's going to work. And, uh, and yet, to do that, you're going to destroy the opportunity for anyone who's going to come after you. The hall of faith that we're studying is every person that's done that at the pump has put their name on it. And we've gone through a list of these folks as we've, we've gone down the line, Enoch, etc. We're coming up to Noah tonight. And each of these has come to the pump. They've put their name on it. Now you have a testimony of people saying, I verify this is, a, this is legit. And so each of these persons allow us to have a stronger faith, and we're learning from the hall of faith in relation to this. So our life is a testimony, a testimony of those who are going to come after us, that they would see our lives and say, uh, you know, I only read the biographies of dead men uh, and women because I want to see how they lived. And, and um, um, Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, a good name is like a precious fragrance, better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. We only know someone's life at the end of their life, if, if their biography is worth reading. Um, and so this is the picture of the hall of faith. These are folks that have put their name on that sign that hangs on the pump so that people coming after can say, it worked for them, it obviously will work for me. Amen? So we've got the first three verses covered, and this is a whole testimony of faith. Now let's drop down to verse 7. As we've gone through each of the studies, we're going to pick up uh, with a man by the name of Noah. Uh, need an ark? I know a guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> And by the way, Hebrews 11.7 begins with the word faith and ends with the word faith. The only time we see this in the scriptures. So here is a man's testimony that begins with faith and ends with faith. And it says in verse 7, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. Everyone say, moved with godly fear. Prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to what? Faith. So his life begins and ends with faith. Now, if we're going to understand who Noah is, we have to go to the story. We're not going to go through the whole story, but let's turn to Genesis 6. And we're going to take a look at a few verses in Genesis 6 to give us an understanding of him. We'll pick up at verse 1 of Genesis 6. The fluttering of the leaves of the word of God. Now, it came to pass... When men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was uh, was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace. First time we see the word grace in the scriptures. But Noah found grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is a genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, is verse 11. If you drop down there, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh, had corrupted their way on the earth. And then uh, verse 22 of the passage says, 
Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did, and which was the, the, the instructions on how to build the ark. It was 450 feet long. Uh, it was a massive structure, and um, we'll go through that in a little bit. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to learn more about Noah, Matthew 24. <clears throat> And to verse 36. Speaking of the return of Christ, Jesus says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then finally, turn with me to Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter 3. Verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, of, of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers or mockers or jokers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men so here we see a reference to the flood we see this idea that men were scoffers and the idea that we see in Genesis is that there was the entire earth was corrupted. It was completely evil. And for those of you who think that um, the, the earth, uh, you know, God killed innocent men, uh, you couldn't be more wrong. Everything was corrupted. The, the world was vile. And at this point, uh, the populations had exploded because man lived uh, hundreds of years. And, um, and Noah is the only righteous man remaining. And he's told to build this ark. And he does. And the scriptures say that it took him 120 years to build this ark, 120 years. He was a preacher of righteousness for over 100 years, and he, he built this ark. And as you see him building this ark, um, the tragedy of it is he's building it where there is no water. If you notice in Genesis, I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Genesis chapter 2 says, uh, verse 6, But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Prior to uh, the flood, the earth was watered by a mist. There was a canopy and there wasn't rain. So nobody on the earth had ever seen rain. No one had ever seen rain. So Noah's building a 450-foot-long ark in the middle of nowhere, and no one's ever seen rain. And for 120 years as he's building this, everyone's mocked him and they're scoffers and they're joking, and they're making fun of Noah, making endless fun of Noah on and on and on. And, he, and his response is, God's going to flood the earth with rain. What's rain? And, and uh, he starts describing the, the design of the ark and what God told him in this dream that he'd had. And he was warned by the Lord of this dream. And in the warning that God had given him, the fascinating thing about the warning is that it's the same warning that God gave to the wise men uh, when they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. It's the same uh, phrase used in, with Joseph and Mary that they were warned in a dream. It's the same phrase that's used with Simeon when God warned him in a dream. It's the same um, phrase that's used with Cornelius when he was in Joppa. He was warned in a dream that Peter would come. And all these things, God warns Noah in a dream or warns him and speaks to him that I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to wipe out mankind. You've got to build this ark. Now, it's one thing to build an ark in a few months. It's another to... He didn't have anyone helping him. All he has for 120 years is people mocking him endlessly. All they do is make fun of him. And for the first 20 years, he didn't have Shem, Ham, and Japheth. For the first 20 years, the only guy he had working for him was a guy named Methuselah. 
You remember the names that we saw in the scripture? Does anyone remember what Methuselah's name means? When he dies, judgment comes. When he dies, judgment comes. And at this point, uh, with Methuselah, he's 849 years old. 840, longest living man in the scriptures and in the history of the world, which is fascinating because that's God's grace. God is long-suffering and patient, wanting that none would perish, but that all would be saved. And so he allows this man whose name is, when he dies, judgment comes, he lives the longest of anyone in the history of the world. Now, you can imagine having a worker who's 849 years old. It's not real helpful. You know, he's bringing the pitch. I got that. Right? And, uh, and, and Noah's like, I, you know, 450 feet long, I got to have kids. So, you know, he goes and has Shem, Ham, and Japheth and waits for them to get of age to be able to help. And teenagers are worthless. But finally, by the time they get to a certain place, they're, they're building this. And you can imagine for 120 years, they probably... The people mocked him and ridiculed him and joked with him, even though he was a preacher of righteousness. And the idea is he was, it was the condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation, therefore, for those who are in Christ Jesus. We already are condemned, but if we're in Christ, we're not condemned because there, there's nothing that can be held against us because Christ has already paid the price for our sin. Man is already condemned. Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to forgive the world. Man already stands condemned. Christ came to the world to free mankind and to save mankind. And here he is, as Christ is a preacher of righteousness. Noah is a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. And as he's building this ark where there is no water, in the middle of nowhere, where no one's ever seen rain. And think about this. The boat doesn't have a mast. It doesn't have a sail. It doesn't have a rudder. And everyone's going, are you nuts? I mean, you can just go through this picture of, of his life as he's building this thing and the mocking that he received for 120 years. And I imagine they probably set up one day a year called Noah Day where everyone brought picnic tables and they brought chairs and they had shot off fireworks and they just spent the whole day making fun of him while he's out there building and talking to him. You don't understand. God's going to judge the earth. And, and they're saying, everything's going on as it always has. We're, give, we're marrying, giving in marriage. We're, we're celebrating Life goes on, Noah, you're wasting your time. And that's kind of the cry of man, is that we don't really number our days. I was just talking to a brother that God had delivered him from cancer, and, and my comment is, now you really understand the value of life. Every day counts. And yet, for because you see the end in mind, and when I took my son on his walkabout at 13, when he became from a boy to a man, I took him and I started at the cemetery, and I said, every great journey begins with the end in mind. And, and this is the way of all flesh. But ultimately, what you're going to leave behind, according to Ecclesiastes 7.1, is a good name. And one of the most fascinating things to me, and I was sharing it earlier today, is that the gift I gave him on his birthday was the signature that, that Ronald Reagan had given me when I met Ronald Reagan, and he wrote, Best Wishes, Robert McCoy, Ronald Reagan. The autograph is worth about $3,000. I gave it to him as his gift to manhood, and it was in the middle of the campaign for state assembly. Uh, we had the office filled. It was in October's birthday, the... The election was the first week in November. I mean, the campaign office was abuzz with activity. Everybody's on the phone. Signs are everywhere. Everybody's wearing McCoy shirts. I walk in with Michael. Everybody cheers. Ah, the candidate's here. Yay. And I tell everybody it's Michael's birthday. Yay. And I said, for his birthday, I gave, gave him this autograph of Ronald Reagan. Everyone puts the phones down. Nobody even knows I'm in the room. They all gather around a signature of a dead man. His signature in death had more value than a living candidate that they were working for. Do you understand that? That's a good name. That's what we leave in a testimony to coming generations. And this is Noah's life. They're mocking him. They're ridiculing him. I spoke this morning at Kiwanis. I joined Kiwanis again and during the assembly campaign. I, I went there to go find votes. And I met folks and I decided I wanted to join because... Kiwanis is filled with folks, I would say the majority of the room are people who are in opposition to me politically. And I really wanted to befriend and get to know them. And they're precious, precious people, and they serve. And they asked me to speak, and so I spoke on the separation of church and state and why a pastor can be in politics, and I presented this to them. And as I presented this to them, one of the things that touched me the most was the fact that they responded uh, to, to this message. And, and as I shared with them, um, this, this understanding, to try to gain understanding with them, I went through this concept for them. Now it was a, a, a different concept, but they grasped it. 
And, and this, is, this is that idea that you're trying to build consensus and you're trying to speak into people's lives. And the things that I was sharing were things they were absolutely unaware of. I went through the founders. I went through the history of 1776. I spoke about the, the first speaker of the house who was Reverend um, 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 uh, Muhlenberg, uh, Franklin Muhlenberg. He was, he was the very first speaker of the house. He was a, a minister. 21 signers of the Declaration of Independence were ministers. All of them, you know, they were like, well, what's he going to talk about in the separation? And I went through the whole thing, the First Amendment, how we came about in the and the, the seven articles of the Constitution, the 27 amendments, and I laid this out. And when I was finished, they, they were moved. You could have heard a pin drop. And, and the idea is I'm speaking to their life, but one of the things I said is <clears throat> the reason why our founders gave us this Constitution and gave us the amendments is they had the separation of powers, edu- uh, legislative, executive, judicial branches. They gave us a separation of powers, and then to protect us from our representatives, they gave us the First Amendment. Freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, and the freedom to peaceably assemble for a right of redress of grievances against our government. If the press is bought and the pulpits are silent, there's no one to speak morality into the lives of people. We must contend for truth. And a a constitutional republic only survives with a moral people. And I said, you don't like me, but any more than you like stop signs and and speed limits. But we are necessary to an orderly society. And they grasped that. Noah was necessary to the society. God had put him on that earth for 120 years to tell people this is wrong. You need to change. You need to repent. You need to turn. Now, only eight people got on the ark. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their, their wives. Of the entire earth, that is probably millions and millions of people, eight people got on the ark and survived. And God destroyed the earth and all living creatures on the earth. You look at that and you think, that's pretty harsh. Well, in the scriptures, fascinatingly enough, yes, God did flood the earth, but he also gave a promise. And I want to read this to you if I can find it. It's in here, and I put it down. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through all these tonight. I'm just kidding, I probably am. Yeah, Genesis 9. You can turn there if you'd like. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. This is when the flood had receded, and they came off the ark. And he said, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man, and from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. By the way, that's capital punishment. This is God-ordained. You don't take someone's life, and, uh, and by God's standard, you're permitted to remain on this earth. I'm just saying that. And the citizens of California voted to enforce the, the death penalty, and one judge you know, annihilates it, even though people spent millions of dollars to pass this amendment and this proposition, and, and this is the idea. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. God is saying, grow. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you. This is called the Noatic Covenant. Everyone say Noatic Covenant. This is the very first presentation. Ready? This is the very first presentation. Are you ready? This is the very first presentation of God's design for government. Laws. You don't murder or your life will be taken from you. God says, I give you this covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, the beasts of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Genesis 8, verse 20 and 21. I'll read this to you. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Let me explain something to you. My wife was the one who grasped this when we were on vacation, and I was blown away by her insights. Not that it's 
you know, not, it's common for her to have insights. I just don't like to give her credit. I just usually rip her off. But I, <laughs> I was blown away by this idea that Michelle said, you know, Rob, God destroyed the earth, but then he made a promise to man that he would never destroy man. So when you get to the book of Revelation, it's man who destroys himself. God says, I'm going to, you come against me, you're going to get a response. Don't do this. And man does, and God responds. He, he, they kill themselves. It's like a child, when you say to that child, don't do this, or I'm going to slap your hand. And the child does it, and you slap their hand, and they're upset. And you make them look in the mirror, and you say, you know who you're upset with? The person you're looking at in the mirror. You knew what you weren't supposed to do. You didn't honor my word. And this is what God says. I mean, if you open up a loaf of bread and you reach in and it's just covered with mold, where's that bread going? Right in the trash. You're you're getting rid of it. And and for those of us, this is unfair. How can God judge the earth? It was completely vile and completely corrupt. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. God gives a Noahic covenant the minute they get off the ark, and this is what he says to them. Establish godly principles and government for the preservation of man. Do righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness. He established this on the earth, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And the concept of that is, I want you to establish this on the earth. Man is still evil. Man still has an inclination to evil. But as you pursue and honor me and do rightly and walk justly, I will preserve mankind because my statutes... Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. So the destruction of mankind comes in the establishment of our governments that don't honor God. I was uh, addressed by somebody I ran against in office who spoke of the Salem witch trials and and said a pastor shouldn't be in office. Uh, A perfect example is the Salem witch trials. At which point I responded and I said, 27 people died in the Salem witch trials and you're invoking any presence of religion in politics based on the Salem witch trials defending secularism by invoking the Salem witch trials question mark when you bypass the idea of secular government which is Mao Zedong Joseph Stalin Pol Pot they're responsible for over a billion people dying and you're upset with me for 27 and by the way and I gave him the paper I said by the way how did the Salem witch trials end? By Christian pastors. And as a result of that, with Winthrop and, and, and the governor of that state, by that action and those pastors, our due process laws were established. Even Stephen Breyer, a justice, most liberal justice on the Supreme Court, one of them, pointed out that all due process laws come from Christianity. That was the, by, that was the byproduct of the Salem witch trials. America ended them while they continued in Europe and over 500,000 people died. And it wasn't, it wasn't Christians that did the Salem witch trials. It was the absence of biblical teaching and due process and trial because they used the scriptures to invoke justice and to say, this is wrong. This is wrong. What did it do? It preserved society. And I've gone through this multiple times, but as the salt of the earth, we are that preservative. We infuse culture to protect mankind we've gone through this the wise restraints that make men free that's what every graduating law school student in harvard hears and sees on the panel on the on the building the wise restraints that make men free how can restraints make somebody free because the law is there not to take away your freedom but to allow you to obtain excellence the illustration peyton manning football player He has a greater freedom to enjoy football at a higher level of excellence than I do because he's applied restraints throughout his life, not sitting in front of the TV or eating a bag of Doritos or playing on his Xbox or walking in the mall. He's out throwing the football endlessly, pursuing and able to enjoy football at a level I will never be able to enjoy. He applied restraints in order to achieve excellence, the wise restraints that make men free. The restraints give people the ability to obtain excellence in the image of God. Honor his law and rise in excellence. Honor his law and rise in excellence. That's why we don't allow alcohol to be sold 100 yards from a school or pornography to be sold 100 yards from from a school because we want to protect the children so they can rise to a level of excellence. That's the purpose of the law. It's not the absence of restraint like libertarians believe. 
That is not what God intended. It's not the idea of invoking laws to try to bring morality in man. It is, a, it is accountability before a living God to say, this is important, and I want to obtain excellence. That's why I do what I do. Amen? So this is what Noah's doing for 120 years. They're making absolute fun of him. They're ridiculing him with a boat that has no mast, no sail, no rudder, 450 feet long, built where there's no water. And by the way, environmentalists would go nuts with this guy. There wasn't an oak tree anywhere around. He had cut down every oak tree. You couldn't have built this ark in Thousand Oaks. It would have been against the city ordinances. I know because I sat in a six six and a half hour meeting on the circumference of oak trees. Thrilling. Thrilling. The ark was covered in pitch, and the word pitch is kafar. Kafar means atonement. And, and it was covered in the atonement of the Lord. The, the, it's the same idea of Jesus' blood covering us. And the righteous entered into this covering. Fascinating. I wanted to read you a couple things. Uh, and someone put this list together, and I want to read it to you. All I really need to know I learned from Noah's ark. Noah didn't wait for his ship to come in. He built one. Plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Stay fit. When you're 500 years old, someone might ask you to do something really big. Speed isn't always an advantage. The cheetahs were on board the ark, but so were the snails. Remember that the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by professionals. Just thought I'd throw that one out. No matter how bleak it looks, if God is with you, there's always a rainbow on the other side. And above all else, don't miss the boat. Here he builds this ark. And what's fascinating is there's 270 cultures around the world that have an ark story. Did you know that? 270 cultures around the world that have a story of an ark. Uh, and, and, the, and the names that they have <clears throat> for Noah is Nu'u, Nuwa, No, Nos, Nu, Nua, Noah. 270 different cultures speak of an ark in their history. And it's fascinating. Uh, and they tell the same story in each of these cultures. Man became corrupt. The flood was worldwide. Eight people survived the flood. Representatives of all land animals were saved. A dove was released to find dry land. Survivors came down from a mountain to repopulate the whole world. And, and you, you see the name reflected in each of these 270 cultures around the world. You say, well, that's impossible. There's no way. And, and, and you know, we talk about evolution. And as we saw Dr. Bob and we, we, we heard in Unit 9, I forget his name, but you, you find a triceratops and they, 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 they take imagery of it and you find soft tissue in the triceratops, which means this thing isn't fossilized and it's not hundreds of millions of years old. It's 10,000 years old. Why is it that we find all sedimentary deposits of these creatures in one location? It's a flood. The Grand Canyon didn't happen because the Colorado River did it over billions of years. This is a massive flood that made this thing. And this is the picture that we have what do we learn from this in relation as a nation, especially in the U.S.? I think God wants us to understand how unbelievably evil mankind can become. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You look at Joseph Mengele. He would inject dye into the eyes of these Jewish children to try to change their eye color. They would, they would stack the Jews that had been em- emaciated and people say, well, six million Jews didn't die. I've heard Holocaust deniers. Six million Jews didn't die. You couldn't burn that many. My point to them was they were less than 100 pounds, and all they had on them were bones. They were skeletons with flesh. They burnt like cordwood. Six million. Marched them into the gas chambers and threw them into the furnaces. Who? Who does that? What culture kills 50 million unborn babies? Billions have died in these governments because they were the educated. There isn't anyone over 65 years of age, for the most part, in Cambodia. They say it's like the hillbillies in Cambodia because every educated person was killed. 
Nobody had a formal education remaining in Cambodia after Pol Pot. Who does that? Who does that? How how can a, a society that at one point, 40 years earlier, was the hotbed of Protestantism and then became the machine that killed 50 million people on the face of the earth, Nazi Germany? Where were the pastors? Well, they were silent. They just wanted their pensions and their churches to be left alone. They no longer stood in opposition to evil. They didn't preach righteousness and, and, and speak condemnation. They, they couldn't handle 120 years of ridicule. Save but for Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Niemöller. They stood. And the very last edict from Adolf Hitler was to hang Dietrich Bonhoeffer before he, he shot Eva Braun and then shot himself. Who does that? Mankind. We're incapable of unbelievable atrocities. Mankind had become unbelievably evil. What is the point? The point is this. If the Noahic Covenant, after the Ark, the point was repopulate the earth and establish righteousness, and it's done through a government principle of laws, what is our role as Christians? Are we to affect that realm of the world? You bet. You bet. Last night we elected, um, or not elected, we, uh, we hired a new city manager. The deliberation was closed session. Four other council members. That decision affects 140,000 people in the city. And I had the privilege because of the actions of people to elect me to be a part of that process and to find a righteous man to do the work on behalf of the people. One who has character, one who's honorable. And this, this was resonating. I can't go into detail, but suffice it to say, I did share a story. A biblical story to emphasize my support. And it was well received. How did I get that privilege to be there? Because people understood that righteousness, good government happens with good people. We need to get somebody in there. Our three school board members are contending with two other school board members for the social studies program, whether or not we're going to teach the LGBTQ curriculum to second graders in our community. They're going to have an enormous fight on their hands. They're going to be ridiculed and mocked. And three of them are going to stand firm. How did they get there? People worked on that behalf. They built. They built. They worked. You see, when Christians step away from their responsibility to engage in a culture, the culture implodes. If you don't establish the laws, and this is one of the things I said this morning, I I told the folks there, I tire of the comment, you can't legislate morality. You know how silly that statement is? Every law is based on a moral standard. But whose standard? Man says or God says? And why is a person of faith not permitted to declare what God says? We live in a constitutional republic that gives us the First Amendment, the freedom of religion. Congress shall make no law restricting the free exercise of religion. Why? Because that's our role. This is a noatic covenant. This is our job. To infuse and bless mankind. In the absence, you have secular governments that kill people. 50 million die. A billion die. Children are injected with dye in their eyeballs. This is what happens. How do you stop the abortion holocaust? Christians must get involved. How did slavery end in America? 19 people in a congregational church in Ripon, Wisconsin, got together and said, it's got to stop. They started a party, a, a, a political party. They got a president elected, had the lowest popularity ratings of any president in the history of the United States. 650,000 people died on a field of battle. He stood firm. In England, a shot was never fired and slavery was ended because one man, William Wilberforce, stood and contended for over 40 years in the legislature to set mankind free. Who does that? Christians. There's no apathy permitted. This is what God is saying. Man is innately evil. You have got to step in and preserve and help them. You've got to do that. That's our role. That's our call. Otherwise, man will destroy themselves. God won't have to do it. They're going to destroy themselves. And that's our role. You know what's fascinating about Noah is he's similar to the Apostle John. All the apostles had a martyr's death. They, they died at the hands 
of those that would kill them. John died of old age. People say, well, he wasn't martyred. No, he was martyred. He was given the martyrdom of a long life. So was Noah. They had to endure a world that was imploding and collapsing and declaring righteousness in the middle of it. Where does the Ku Klux Klan come from and, and, and slavery and all these things? Abortions, the last six decades. Politicians, judges, religious leaders who have betrayed us, abused our trust. We don't infuse righteousness in the nation. It's not our job. I don't like politics. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. That's what the world was like. I just want to be left alone to marry and be given in marriage and to enjoy life. Can you just back off? As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the last days. I don't want to engage. I don't want to infuse. I don't want to penetrate and illuminate. I just want to be left alone to marry and have a good time. That's not our role. His life began with faith. He was divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark. And I would say this. Are we moved with godly fear, realizing that the world is going to be judged and there are people that desperately need to know the truth? How will they know unless someone tells them? That's our role. That's our call. And, and being divinely warned, it's one thing to have a vision. It's another to be divinely warned so that you're so impressed by what you saw that you will survive for 120 years building this while everyone mocks you every day and ridicules you for every day. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness according to faith. Abraham believed God. It was accredited to him as righteousness. Faith brings righteousness. I trust the Lord. Then God gives you his righteousness. This is the picture. And God said, repent, change, seek God. There's a flood coming. And he was saying this through the mouthpiece of Noah for 120 years. Repent, change, seek God. Repent, change, seek God. There's a flood. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be condemnation. And they mocked him. Now, I have to tell you something about mocking, joking. In the book of Genesis, Genesis 19, we see a story about a guy named Lot. Lot was warned by angels that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he went to go tell his family. And when he told his sons-in-law, he says, listen, God's going to destroy the city. His son-in-laws laughed at him as though he was one who was mocking. Wait a minute. How all of a sudden are you getting morality when you've been living in this city and you haven't made a difference? He sat at the gate. He lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, and if he was being put on trial for being a Christian, there'd be nothing to convict him because he never changed the city and he never spoke of righteousness to the point where even his own son-in-laws who were given in marriage, as was the days of Noah, who were given in marriage, didn't have any idea. They laughed going, what are you talking about? You've never spoken like this. Are you nuts? They made fun of him. And the question is, would people look at us and say, you're joking? You're kidding me. Are we ones who mock? Are we ones who joke? As though as though Lot himself were joking? Or do people look and say, this is the real deal? The way they live, what they've been doing, this matters. There's something significant about their life. Do your kids look at you when you, you, you preach the gospel to them, yet your life doesn't reflect anything in accordance with it? They look at you as though one's joking, one is mocking. Faith is only transferred. Things are caught, not taught. You can teach all you want, but if you don't live it, they don't get it. And this is the picture of Lot. Genesis 7.10 says that God waited seven days, seven days after the door was closed. After seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. Seven days began to rain, the doors closed. Seven days, number of perfection. Guess how many people responded when the heavens opened, as Noah had said, for 120 years. And he was probably the joke, and everybody knew the story, and everybody even taught about Noah, and they all laughed, and the rain started coming. It starts to flood. Seven days. Seven relentless days. California's gone through a couple of days, and we're like, oh, we're all going to die. Seven days of torrential flooding, and nobody knocks on the door to get in. Nobody. Would God have spared them? You bet. God is patient, long-suffering, wanting that none would perish. Second Peter chapter 3 says, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire on the earth, and everything in it will be laid bare. You ponder this passage. 
And every single passage that we study about Noah speaks of judgment. About the flood, talks of man's sin, God's condemnation. Every single passage told of evil man and the destruction that God was going to bring upon the earth. Every single passage, except for one. And I'll read that to you. First Peter chapter 3, verses 22, 20 and 22. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolized baptism that now saves you. Also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers, and submission to him. He waited patiently for people to repent. No one did. I I love this, and I want to read it to you. And And it deals with every passage speaking of judgment and condemnation, but this one speaks of hope and salvation. Noah's ministry was linked to that of Jesus. And I love this, this insight. The ark was a shelter for the saved of Noah's day. It was built of wood and had only one door. And that one door was only one way in and the only way out. It's called the church. Not a building like the one we're meeting in, but the body of believers who meet here. That church is built upon the wood of the cross of Calvary. And that church has only one door. And that door is Jesus. One person described it this way. Noah held a hammer in his hand. Jesus absorbed the blows of a hammer upon his hand. Noah built with wood. Jesus was pinned to wood. Noah constructed a door. Jesus said, I am the door, John ten seven. Noah covered the ark in pitch, kafar. Jesus covered us with his blood. The lesson from the story and the flood is that there is a coming judgment. There will be a time when God's patience with us will run out. When that time comes, will you be inside the shelter of God's protection or will you be on the outside and face, face his judgment? And the choice is yours, as it is with all mankind. But how will man know unless someone tells him? How will man know unless someone tells him? And for us as believers, our responsibility in this day and age is that we need to realize that God is calling us to a higher standard that we are preachers of righteousness and that we are to preserve the earth and to declare as Noah did. His life began in faith. He was warned by a dream and he was driven by that. You've heard, you've heard God's word. We read in Peter, the sec, in Second Peter, that it's his word that moves us. We have his word. We rightly divide it. And in Hebrews chapter 5, it speaks of babes in Christ who feed upon the milk of God's word as opposed to the meat of God's word. And God says to those folks, you need to grow up. You see, you can only walk in righteousness and declare righteousness to the point where you've been obedient to God's command as we saw in Genesis with Noah's life. He obeyed what God said. How can you obey a word you never read? If all you ever get, and I've said this before, if all you ever get is me giving you a bottle on Wednesday night or Sunday morning. And like an infant, that's all you get. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is your, your job to prepare your meal and to eat the meat of God's word. I love meat. I love to put salt on it. I love to grill it. I love to eat it. I love to chew it. I, I love the texture of it. I, I can't stand milk. And baby food, could you imagine? You want this steak or do you want these mashed peas? And, and they've got to be bland because we don't want your stomach to be upset because you're just a little kid. It's time to grow up. And when you digest the meat of God's word, it reflects itself, as James said, don't just be a hearer of the word. If you come in here to get fat on the word, and you hear it, and you hear it, and you hear it, and I teach you, and you go out, and you don't affect the world with righteousness by establishing God's covenant on this earth to establish government and society that protects mankind and speaks of righteousness. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is reproached to any people. If, if, if it doesn't apply itself in a transformation of the culture in which you live, there's no effect. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer. Be a doer. What are we doing? It has to apply itself in action. 
There's a world that is corrupt. Man is evil, and they need restraint. And they need to understand they're accountable to God. But how will they know unless someone tells them? In a culture where all Christians are removed, it's awful. Just try living in North Korea. Try living in the 1040 window where Sharia law exists. You see, secularism is a religion disguised as a political system. Sharia law is a political system uh, disguised as a religion. And they both need each other. In the absence of God, the void is filled. And fascism and communism, socialism, take hold. Man's government, man says or God says. How can God say if God's people don't engage? Where do these governments come from? How are babies destroyed? How are children injected with dye in their eyeballs? How are people massacred? Because man says. What about God says? And how will they know? How will they hear unless someone tells them? God picked Noah because he had faith. Faith in what? In God's word. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Everything about my life is, and, and here's the good news. If nobody listens to you, Nobody listens to you. The good news is this. All of your kids will be on the ark because they're going to see that their mom and dad are the real deal. They're going to know that what you preach in public, you live in private. Or you can just be part of the problem and the corruption of the world and have no testimony. And, and, And the world will implode around you. You know, two stories, I'll close with this. One, they they both occurred in college. I'll start with the first one. I had given my heart to the Lord, and I was living in a dorm with athletes at Fresno State, and I was an athlete. I was in a quad, so I had a roommate, and there were four rooms that all shared a common area. And actually three rooms that shared a common area. The two other rooms had athletes, track guys, and tennis players. And they were just massive stoners. I mean, it was just, it was a drug den. And it just reeked. And that was before they did drug testing. And and uh, my roommate wasn't a believer. And I, I was trying to live my Christian life. I wasn't reading the word. I was lonely. I was miserable. I was doing my best. And after a while, I just got infected by loneliness and a distance from the Lord. And every time I'd come out, they'd be hitting on this bong, and they'd, they'd, they'd just be, <laughs> remember those days. And, and they would always say, what are you too good for us? And finally, I just, I gave in one day, and I said, bring it here. And, and I, I smoked that. This is going to be on tape, and I'll never get elected to anything else. I didn't inhale. No, I didn't. <laughs> I did. And I remember in the midst of it, just, you know, and everything starts spinning and it's just kind of weird. And, and I remember this one guy looking at me who was the kingpin of the, of the room and he just said, you know, I thought you were different, but you're just like us. And the conviction hit me so hard. And the problem with marijuana is it doesn't go away. It goes for a while. You're like, <laughs> go out and try to get fresh air, do whatever you can. But finally, when it died down, I just came in the next day to him specifically. I said, I'm so sorry. I, I let you down. And I, I, I appreciate you being generous. I, I'm, I've been judgmental on you. Obviously, I've got frailties, but this has taken us nowhere, and I'm just sorry. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I started serving him taking care of the, the quad area, making sure it was clean. I, I just, I, I purposed to serve him. Years later, I ran into him. And he had heard me speak at a men's conference. He came up to me. He goes, you remember me? And I go, gosh, you look familiar. But no. My dad has Alzheimer's. I'm, I don't know, I'm getting there. But he looked at me and he said, 
I'm so-and-so. I said, yeah, at the dorm. He goes, yeah. I go, what are you doing here? Because his whole goal in life was to become an attorney to fight for the legalization of marijuana. It happened without him. But he said, I came to Christ. And you're right. My whole life's changed. That's one person, one transformation. Simply because you decide to make a difference. It's not about you. It's about those outside the ark that need to get in. And we live for that. But we must engage the culture. We must. And, and this is the picture of Noah in Hebrews eleven seven, By faith. By faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's word. He said it. I believe it. That settles it. You preach righteousness. You live righteousness. It doesn't matter if nobody listens. Your kids will get on the ark. God will do what he's going to do. And ultimately, you're going to have an opportunity to make a whole new start. You know, that's what happens. Society changes. Noah had the chance to do that. And to this day, as we look at that pump with his signature on it, we come to, we're, we're thirsty. We have that jar of water. We see Noah's name. Noah said, I did it for 120 years. I know what it's like to be thirsty and ridiculed. Trust me. Stay the course. Do what the sign says. There's people coming after you. They're going to need that water. Trust me. Or, as was in the days of Noah, so will the last days be. Just be about life. Forget about your responsibility to mankind and engaging in culture and transforming it. You just get married, do your own thing, go on vacation, save your 401k, get a Winnebago, go eat at the buffet in Las Vegas, get angry in your 80s because they've run out of shrimp in the buffet. You know, complain about every ailment you have. Play bridge until you die. Good job. Good job. And guess what? Your kids will look at you and go, really? That's life? I don't want anything to do with you. God said it, we do it. God said it, we do it. That's our call. And it's a great call. And it's a blessing. His commandments are not burdensome. He even gives us by his spirit the ability to do them. And go on and on, but I'm going to stop there. Amen?